0: Well, good morning. Last week I was out. I, uh, the founder of our company uh, contacted me and asked me to do uh, the funeral of an extended family member of his. Uh, and when your boss asks you to do a funeral where you can share the gospel, you say yes, right? Uh, so they flew me to Portland and uh, Oregon, and I did that. I want to thank the church for the flexibility um, to allow me to do that for the elders, for allowing me to do that um, I, it is uh, i admit i 'm a little tired this morning i don 't if you 'd have been in the focus class you 'd know that i think i <laughs> said the wrong name about fourteen times this morning, and I think I may have conf- if you were a, if you were a new believer and you did not know anything about first samuel you 're totally confused about everything um, but uh pray that the Lord would give us some strength and me some strength this morning for sure um, to preach through First Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I'm excited to be back and to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I have uh, generally when I'm gone uh, for a Sunday, I preach twice as long on my return. And so uh, hopefully you're ready for that. Some people here think I'm joking. Um, <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 2, read it with me, or I'm going to read it. But you read it, follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the inspired, holy word of God says this in verse 6, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had... The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray again. Oh God, I do come before you I'm asking for help this morning, and I am completely and utterly dependent upon you. And I pray, God, you would use me this morning to speak the truth of your word. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would. Um, stir among us, that it would convict and encourage and challenge us, Lord. And may we leave here today uh, with a desire um, and instruction to look more and more like your son, we pray, and it's in your name we ask, amen. In the late 1700s, um, William Pitt um, became one, uh, became the youngest Prime Minister of Great Britain at the age of 24. Um, I'm a history buff, um, and I plan to have an entire historical lesson today. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, um, William Pitt uh, was very young, obviously, um, and um, he um, uh, is not as well known to maybe as many of us, but if you follow Christian uh, history, uh, you may remember William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce um, served in his government and um, was instrumental used by God uh, to help end uh, the atrocity of slavery in Europe. Uh, and William Pitt and William Wilberforce were uh, not only allies in that government in many ways, but they were also close friends. Now, William Wilberforce was, uh, became a believer... Uh, later on in life and was influenced greatly by John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. Um, But William Pitt, as far as we can tell, uh, uh, may have gone to the church but was not necessarily uh, a believer from what we can tell. Um, And William uh, Wilberforce was uh, quite concerned about this and became very anxious about his friend, Uh, and began to pursue him, to attend church with him, uh, to hear particular preachers. Uh, And as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones recites the story so well, I'm going to read his words. But um, he says that Wilberforce was always trying to speak to him about spiritual things, and he was particularly anxious that Pitt should go with him to listen to a famous evangelical preacher named Richard Cecil. So Wilberforce worked on Pitt for weeks and months, and at last... Pitt promised that the next Sunday morning he would go with him to listen to this preacher. So Wilberforce was praying, full of anticipation, and they went to the service and they sat together. Richard Cecil preached and expounded the glories of the kingdom of God and the relationship of the child of God to the Father. And Wilberforce was in ecstasy, rejoicing and reveling in this glorious truth And he was wondering what was happening to his friend, the Prime Minister Pitt. Now, Pitt was, I suppose, an abler man than William Wilberforce. He was, after all, the Prime Minister. And at the end of the service, William walked out wondering what Pitt had thought about the service. As they got outside the building, William Pitt turned to Wilberforce, who had been so ravished by the exposition of the truth of God, and said... I didn't understand a word of what that man was talking about. What was it? These sermons, as I have begun to work our way as a church through the book of 1 Corinthians, may start sounding the same. Or maybe they have sounded the same, and that's because I really don't want to spend any more time studying, uh, and I just want to rehash the same old theme. I'm just kidding. People are like, what? What? They remain so similar because Paul's theme to the Corinthians is basically the same for the first four chapters, as he challenges their culture and their understanding and their hierarchy of wisdom. And he is saying that the wisdom of man is not, is not, is not how you discover God, He, God, is unknowable through typical wisdom. And the Corinthians struggled with that. They were submerged in a culture of spectacular thinking and debate, public debate, public displays of who was wisest wisest, and who could say things the best. But yet, Paul wanted to get the church to understand that Christianity could not be found in their system of logic. And he has argued over chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 that it is the power of the cross and the word of the cross is foolishness. And that foolishness causes Jews to stumble and Greeks to balk. And that the Corinthians desire to divide themselves up into multiple camps And follow individual leaders because they think they say things better or lead better is foolish. And is proof that they may not even be believers. But if they are, they are immature. And so Paul has spent much of the beginning of this letter butchering the wisdom of men. And getting the Corinthians to understand that is not the path of how you find God. Now, not all human wisdom is bad. Uh, If I need to have heart surgery, uh, I want one from a doctor who knows what he is doing, um, regardless if he is a Christian. If he comes to me and says, Listen, I'm a Christian man, but my last 24 patients have died, I'm going to say, Send me the unbelieving doctor. Um, uh, When I fly, I don't particularly like flying, I have to do it a lot, but I'm not. Particularly a fan, mainly because I'm not in control and I'm a control freak. None of the elders said Amen, so <laughs> thank you guys. <laughs> but I prefer that the pilot of the plane be a believer. Sure, that'd be great, but I really want to know want him to know how to take off and land. And so there's wisdom in the ability to do that. Um, but the wisdom that Paul is speaking about in these four chapters is the Corinthians idea that being intelligent, being intellectual, intellectually enlightened is a path to how you come to know God. And that is the kind of wisdom that he is butchering. He wants them to understand that this wisdom that leads to the knowledge of God can only be spiritually given, because it is spiritual wisdom. And that, as I think you will learn in these 10 verses, is why William Pitt could sit in a service with amazing preaching and not understand a thing. And why, if you were here a few weeks ago, how Charles Spurgeon could sit as an unbeliever in a church with a guy who couldn't preach at all. And come to know Christ. Verses six through seven, let's tackle that first. It says yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. Wisdom that is not spiritual wisdom will not get you closer to God, and you will be doomed. But Paul says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. Now, what secret and hidden wisdom is Paul referencing here? I believe it is the gospel. We see that uh, this not only in Colossians chapter 1, but we see it in Ephesians chapter 1. We'll read Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. It says this way, Paul, I'm going to give you all the context here. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, The good news of the gospel, this mystery that has now been revealed, is that salvation is available for the Jews and the Gentiles, united in Christ by grace through faith because of his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. That is this secret and hidden wisdom that the Spirit can give those that he wishes to give it to verse 8, this is none of these rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There is some debate here about what this actually means. Some have offered that this is referencing demonic rulers, uh, but theologians are split here. Uh, I don't believe it's demonic rulers, although I don't uh, discount the fact that um, there are demonic rulers um, influences behind rulers, Um, and depending on what party you're a part of, you may think yours or the others is more influenced than others, but nevertheless, uh, I do believe that the demonic influence is clear in political circles around the world, Uh, but I don't believe that is what he's referencing to here. I believe this is a reference to those who were involved in the death of Christ, Uh, but nevertheless, if it was demonic, then they would not have been involved in the crucifixion Because it ultimately destroys them. It's not what they wanted to have happen either. And if it is simply those human rulers who were blind, had they known who Jesus was, then they would not have been involved regardless. I mean, they would not. They would have have wanted to rescue him, but they didn't know. They didn't understand that. Uh, But whatever, regardless of which one it is, it is clear that they did not know, and they did not understand, or they would not have crucified him. And then verses 9 through 10, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now we get to camp. How many of you grew up in East Texas Bible Belt? How many of y'all have ever heard that verse that we just said? So a lot of you went to church, but none of you listened. Um, (laughs) All right. So here's my challenge. Um, There is debate about this particular verse. And one debate is this is a passage, this 9 and 10, or mainly verses 9, is speaking to heaven. Uh, That is how I have always heard it taught growing up. Um, But nevertheless, uh, that interpretation is actually a bit controversial. Um, One reason is that uh, if it is a quote of Isaiah 64, 4, it's a a poor quote of 64, uh, uh, verse 4, uh, because it's not word for word. Uh, There is some argument that this is just a Hebrew idiom, that there would have been a um, that people would have been familiar with this phrase, um, that, um, you know, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Um, they would have been familiar with that statement. Um, others uh, have argued that it actually comes from a book called The Apocalypse of Elijah. Um, but we have very little remaining of that text, and the earliest pieces of that text um, date around the 4th century, and many, uh, I'd say the general uh, rule, the majority rule in that is uh, manuscripts experts believe the original must have been written long after Paul wrote his letter to Corinthians. And so the argument that this is a quote or a paraphrase necessarily of Isaiah 64-4 um, first kind of made its rounds uh, Uh, of Clement of Rome in A.D. 95. Um, Others think it's a combination of Isaiah 64.4 and Isaiah 65.17. But the reality is, and we don't like to say this in churches often, but we don't know. We don't exactly know. Um, People can make their camps on this, but there is debate about this. Um, Therefore, when I study this, the only logical explanation for me is that Paul is paraphrasing Isaiah 64, 4, which may have been a familiar paraphrasing um, to the church. But um, when he says, from of old, ponder this for a moment, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Well, it sounds similar to what Paul is saying in Corinthians, what no eye has seen, or ear heard, nor the heart of man. Imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. And so, not exactly a perfect quote. Um, it's not the first time we've had incidents like this happening, a quote in the Scriptures that we actually don't have. Uh, we find that also in Matthew 2 and John 7 and James 4. Um, but nevertheless... Um, I'm not alone on saying that I do not believe that this is talking about heaven. I don't believe that's the case here. Um, I believe God has done something, as we see in the context here, speaking to wisdom, that God has done something through the secret, hidden wisdom of the revealed gospel that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man could imagine what God was up to. If it's heaven, it's strange. Um, Because um, to read it the way it says is that no one can possibly imagine what heaven will be like. And that would be true. We have no words to describe it. We have no ability to even imagine what it will be like. That's no doubt true to us. But this passage isn't speaking about heaven. The argument Paul is making is about human wisdom versus spiritual wisdom, and that only spiritual wisdom leads you to God. And so he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, I think he's talking about the gospel. that No one could understand this with their typical senses. Um, and you may say, well, I still think it's talking about heaven. I think it's saying that we, we can't understand what heaven is like. And there's no ability for us to understand that at all. Well, the problem with that is verse 10 seems to argue with you. Because verse 10 then says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So, as I grew up, if this is describing heaven and I can't know it, then why does verse 10 say that it's been revealed? That's why I think it has to do with spiritual wisdom and the understanding of the gospel. The Greeks wanted to think about it, ponder it, see it, feel it, touch it, think about it. And Paul is saying, none of that matters. No one understood this. No one could, could think about what God was doing. No one could perceive what God was doing. They cannot do it that way because this wisdom is not given through that it means. It is given through spirit so this isn't something we can't understand but rather these things have been revealed to us and i believe it is the gospel the good news of the crucified christ on the cross the very news that the jews wise intelligent well-spoken they stumbled over it and the greeks Logical thinkers, the top guys in the intelligence world, they thought it was foolishness. But for those who are given this from the Spirit, we see it and we understand it. What a gift for us. That's all we got? Do you realize that William Pitt sat under great preaching and missed it? But if you're a believer here today and you got it, it is only because God revealed it to you. What a gift. What a gift for you that you could understand it. Verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts? except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Um, No one knows you better than you. Even your spouse does not know you as well as you know yourself. We know our own thoughts. Most people don't know all of our thoughts, No one actually knows all of our thoughts. And Paul uses that analogy to say you can't know God. You can't know God without the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is necessary to understand the thoughts of God. And only the Spirit, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, only the Holy Spirit searches the thoughts of God and for believers gives freely those things to us. As his children. Now, before some of you um, begin to think I'm saying something I'm not, um, I want you to understand here I'm not being crazy. I believe these things that the Holy Spirit is searching and revealing to us are not new things. Always be leery of a pastor who comes up and says, Let me teach you something new. You should probably run because it's probably heresy. Um, I'm not saying that at all. I think the things that God reveals to us through the Holy Spirit is contained in the Scriptures. That's where we find God. It's where God speaks to His own character and His own will is contained in the Scripture. And the things that you need to know are found in the Bible alone. There's not something missing. There's not something that's been left off. All you need to walk with God is the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit residing in you. I think this is why I've read the Bible for a long time, that I can read a passage that I've read hundreds of times before. And I will pick up the phone and call someone I know and say, have you ever read this? And they'll say, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, have you ever thought of this? And normally for me, all of my friends say, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's new for me. The Bible continues to be revealed to us. We learn more and more and more as we grow in Christ. And as the Holy Spirit reveals more and more to us. I got saved as a 12-year-old. I did not know Much of the things of God at 12, (laughs) didn't know much, but as I continue to walk with the Lord, the Lord reveals more and more and more to me. This is not in my notes, but I'm of the opinion if God had revealed everything to me at 12, I would have just imploded. I don't think we can understand it all like that. But as life happens and we experience life, God teaches us. And then verses 12 through 13, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Listen, Corinthians, the stuff that we're teaching you, this is not coming from human wisdom. This is coming from the spirit. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A life-changing moment for me. I was 19 years old listening to Mike Curry preach the gospel at a camp. Uh, some of you were in focus class. You heard part of this. Here's the second thing that he taught me that blew my mind. And gonna be like, you didn't have a very big mind, and I didn't. But he said this, he was called once to help a particular city in the U.S., help with some of their crime problems among people and among students, and and he was asked to come in and give some advice and blah, 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 and they laid out all this stuff to him, and he said, hey, I got to be really honest with you, and he said, I'll tell you, all you people in this room, and I was sitting in the back going, this is going to be great, and he said, lost people act like lost people And you think that's simple, but you still lose your mind over people who pursue lust in this country. You lose your mind over how can people act that way in our country? Because they're lost. Why does it continually surprise you? They don't know Jesus. They don't interpret things like you do as a believer. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Can't believe people say those kind of things. Can't believe people act that way. Can't believe people do this and do that. They don't know Jesus. I can't believe you as a believer think that they should act differently. They don't know Jesus. And have you forgotten how you would have acted had the Holy Spirit not interrupted your sinful life? You would be the very person that other people are going. Why do they behave that way? Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Let me translate that. Interpreting spiritual truth to those who are saved. Those are the people who understand the word of God. I'm gonna camp here, not my notes. I knew this was gonna happen. This is probably every analogy I think you ever give from the pulpit, if you carry it all the way out, it ends up in heresy. I recognize that. But my mom ran a daycare growing up uh, in the house long before all the rules came out. Uh, Then they came out with, you have to have this kind of nutritious meal and that. And if you don't know my mom, she'd be like, they had peanut butter and jelly. If they don't want that, they can starve to death. And that was my, you know, amen. How many of y'all grew up with that mom? Yeah. Yeah. And they came in, with, well, you got to have this much and this many nutrients. And my mom was like, I'll tell you what. <laughs> anyway, but at one point we had, I don't know how many kids, we had a lot. I mean, 12, 14, 15 kids that would come to the house. And then they came out and said, your house wasn't big enough and blah, blah, blah. But I understood kids. Like, as a young teenager, I changed diapers. I did all those wonderful things. I understood what it was like to have Infants, I understood that you put something over the plugs. I don't know if we had those plastic things or if we just put duct tape. I don't know what we did. But I I knew all those rules. Like I understood the rules of how you did that. I, I had a head knowledge of what it meant to have children around. But when the doctor laid Daniel in my arms for the first time, everything changed life changed for me. Yeah. Our next door neighbors uh, just had their first baby and I was out there talking to them and I was telling them, life's going to change. I was, my wife was like, you're supposed to encourage them. I said, I wasn't discouraging them. I was just like, oh, your lives are about to be altered <laughs> forever. Joy sleeping it's never going to happen again. You know? But am I Right? Like, you remember when your first child was born? As a father, I recognize Daniel is my responsibility. I am to protect him and to care for him. Everything changed for me. So there are lots of people who have a head knowledge about the Bible. But they don't understand the gospel. Because the Spirit interprets spiritual things to the spiritual. Verses 14 clarifies this even more. Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Dead people, as Paul calls them in Ephesians, and the natural man, as Paul describes him in this passage, and the people of the flesh, as described by Paul in Romans 8, they cannot understand the things of God because they are dead. We're leading up to some applications in a minute. I just got to just gotta get you to understand this. They're dead. They're of the flesh. They cannot understand the things of God in the typical Logical, wisdom driven society that we live in, just like the Greeks. It's not how it works. I can't understand it. Their eyes have not been opened to the scriptures they think with their flesh because they do not have the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, just verses 7 through 8 from our elder reading, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. I love it when people come to me. Can you believe all these people want to take away churches' rights? Yes! Because they're hostile to God. I Are mean, we really? Are we really surprised? The greatest thing that could ever happen to our country, this is so not the note, sorry, elders, is that we lose nonprofit statuses as churches. I pray for persecution in the American church. Hope you didn't build a $40 million sanctuary, because they're leaving. Good persecution, we'd find out who really is spiritual. Go to China. They're growing quickly over there. That was not in the notes. Their mind is set on the flesh, and they are hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can can submit to God, because they don't have the spirit. They can't. Those who are in the flesh can not please God. They can't do it. It's like taking a kid to a baseball game and the cotton candy people come down. They're going to (laughs) ask. They don't care that it's $37 for four ounces of cotton candy. It's it's just their nature. They can't. It's who they are. The natural man, verses 15 through 16, the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. That's a difficult verse. Um, We do believe that spiritual believers should be, um, obviously from 1 Corinthians, we'll get there, going to encounter church discipline if they move out of that. So I think the best interpretation of the one that most people land here uh, is that Paul is saying the natural man cannot judge the spiritual man because he can't understand the spiritual man. And then verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And maybe you haven't been excited today. But I hope this excites you. But we, those who are spiritual, those who have been redeemed, we have the mind of Christ. We can see things differently now. We can persevere through difficult things we understand things. We understand why things happen to us. We understand why it happens to other people. We understand why people respond the way they respond. And here's why we now, because of Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, have the mind of Christ. And that's good news. The implications of that, oh, I wish I could camp there, but we cannot. Mm. This does obviously does not mean that we are all knowing or understand everything because we continue, as you well know, to bat our own flesh on a daily basis, yet we can understand the things of God. What Jesus has spoken in the Word, we can understand. We can. We are also matured in our walk with God through the Holy Spirit. There is an emphasis own maturity those who are growing in christ i would imagine when you were young walking with the lord if you became a believer young in age um you probably weren't struggling with your soteriology (laughs) probably wasn't something that you were thinking of i doubt very many uh 12 year olds like i was uh, pondered the sovereignty of god it probably wasn't something they were thinking of but as we grow and we experience life and we begin to study The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, begins to grip us and change us. I think that's what Romans 12, 1 through 3 is trying to say. It's one of the many things it's saying. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think there's application there for maturity. Uh, But let me quickly get, I know I'm a little out of time, uh, let me get to the three applications which we'll spend um, a decent amount of time on here. Um, That's why it's important for us as a new church that's growing. The fact that unsaved people cannot understand spiritual things without the Holy Spirit is every reason why I am not worried about the church atmosphere i'm not trying to dress this up i'm in sales i work sales all day long i run 19 medical clinics i do sales I understand what it means to set the stage i'm the guy in my industry like the guys at the grocery stores who put all the candy right up by the cash register for you as parents with kids or even you, how many of y'all ever bought something there? You like, you did it, you're like, oh, they got me, dead gummit. I mean, that's I mean, I understand we set the stage, we 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 make in our minds as churches, if we can just make the gospel palatable, people will come to know Jesus. If if the lights are set the right way, if the band is set just the right way, if we have a young guy that does worship. Or if we have an old guy that doesn't, tra- I mean, it depends on where you come from. Young guy that's contemporary, old guy who's traditional. God forbid that you have a young guy that does both, or, oh, that would just be crazy. We, we have all of these ideas and all these things that we think if we just get all these pieces through the puzzle, people will come to know Christ. You ought to go to a pastor's conference sometimes. It's insane. It's like they've never read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. They think if we can just get all of The calculations right. And people will walk in and be like, oh, I love Jesus. This is amazing. No. It's never been how it's worked. That's why we don't care about that stuff here at this church. And as I am, as long as I'm one of the elders, I get one vote. But my vote is we don't ever care about that kind of stuff. Here's what we do: we preach the word of God and let the Holy Spirit. Do what the Holy Spirit has always done. And, by the way, does way more effectively than we do. And that is remove the scales off people's eyes. And suddenly they see the glorious Savior. And they come to faith. And yet we spend millions of dollars to try to make it palatable. Now, yes... I'm glad we pass out visitors' bags. I'm glad that Matt puts cookies in them. <laughs> I'm not, or not, no cookies today. <laughs> Sorry, visitors. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> I am not saying that we shouldn't be practical. I'm not saying that we don't have the right amount of chairs. I'm not saying that we, that we don't greet people and care and be friendly. But those are all things, by and large, of trying to make sure people feel welcomed in that sense is just an outflow of the gospel. Yes, we should be friendly to people because we're Christians for crying out loud. There's a thought process. But it's not, let's be friendly so we can set them up in the right stage and when Keith plays the right kind of song and if enough people are crying, he'll keep it going and then I'll get up and I'll say just the right things. And I'll talk about someone who was killed and how it was sad. And I will pull the emotional strings. And then I'll get all of you to come down and And we all grew up with that. And it produced no disciples. Instead, it produced thousands of people who think they know Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. Because there's no Holy Spirit in them that interprets spiritual things. How many people today are sitting in churches hearing the word of God preached and they hear nothing and yet they think they know Jesus? We cannot make the gospel palatable. We can just preach it. In fact, if anything, the gospel is hostile to who we are as as people. You can't do anything. I, I can do whatever I want. You can't do this. It's hostile. It's so anti everything we are as people. Our fallen nature is so hostile to that. But when God, through the Holy Spirit, opens your eyes, you see Jesus. And now, for those of you who are believers, you're like, How can you not see it? How do you, how do you not see it? How can you not understand how good God is? And that is why, number two, we should be praying as a church, praying that the Holy Spirit of God would be active at Sovereign Life Fellowship and active for everyone who comes into this church. People say, well, I don't think that's true. I think we can come to Christ on our own. Well, then why are we praying? Why do you ask for people to pray for those who are lost? What are you asking God to do? Because if you're asking him to do anything, then you must think that he needs to do something. And people, he does. He needs to remove the scales off their eyes so they see the glorious God that we serve. And we need to pray that the Holy Spirit stirs in our church. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to those of you who are believers to mature you more in the faith. That he would open your eyes to the truth of God's word. pray, pray. Pray the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a Baptist church where that was a bad word. We never talked about the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. The Bible speaks about it all day long, and we need him, and we need him to be active in our lives and active in every believer that we ever come in contact with. You may say, well, can't we debate them in the Christ? Isn't that what apologetics is for? Listen, I love apologetics. No one's coming to Christ because you beat them. They may say that's why they came to Christ, but here's why they came to Christ. Because during the debate, the Lord went, watch this. <laughs> and he removed their eyes that they couldn't see with and put in new ones and they went, I get it! It's not because you beat them in the debate it's because the Holy Spirit drew them. And then last, I think that is why we worship as people. This should stir us to worship. Because there was a point where we didn't see it either. And we were running our own race for our own reasons, for our own lust our own sinful nature, doing whatever we wanted to please ourselves. And no matter your soteriology camp that you camp in, maybe you, maybe you think you can resist it or not resist it, and we can debate that, and I would love to have coffee with you. Actually, I don't. I've had the debate too many times, so I don't even want to debate you. <laughs> but here's what I'd tell you. The only reason you're a believer here today is just God did something for you. You were going one direction. And God said, and I know I'm being a little playful, but I just, in my mind, I can just see Jason Williams running to be the leader of the mob. (laughs) Sinful, lustful, prideful, arrogant, big mouth." Can't believe I made it to 12 that someone hadn't killed me before I was 12. And I'm just thinking, heaven, Jesus said, hey, y'all watch this. And then Mike Morrow preaching the gospel in Gary, Texas about what it meant to become a believer. And I heard what it meant to become a believer, and I heard that you went to hell if you didn't become a believer. And I went, believing sounds good. And God, in that moment, gripped my heart. I can't remember from this day. A friend of mine named Marty was trying to talk to me during the invitation. I couldn't hear a word he was saying. Because the Holy Spirit of God was saying, I want you. My life has never been the same since. Full of failures and struggles. But the only reason I stand here today a redeemed person is because Jesus did it. And he opened up my eyes to spiritual things. And I responded, yes, there's clearly some tension in the Bible. But yes, I responded to that call with faith that was a gift to me. And so I understand better, and you should understand better what John Newton said when he says, "Twas blind, but now I see." Believer, that should stir you up to worship. It should stir you up to worship. That God rescued you. If you're here today and you say, "What does this mean? I don't understand this." Here's the gospel. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sin naturally all by yourself. You know exactly how to sin. And God, because of the great love that he had for you, sent Christ to take your punishment on the cross, a punishment you richly deserved. And for those who put their faith in Christ, in that sacrifice, Jesus takes on your sin, and you get his righteousness. God takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. He takes you from the kingdom of darkness and places you in the kingdom of our Father. And you will never be the same again. People say, well, how do I know that? How do I know I've been a believer? What do I do? How do I say it? What do I do? And and how do I know you repent And you believe. And the way you'll know nothing will ever be the same again. Nothing will ever be the same again. You don't have to take my hand to do that. You can do that in your chair. You can do that in a car on your way home. You can do it while laying in your bed tonight. But you can repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe God will rescue you. And if you're here today and you say, well, I'm a believer. uh, I just would remind you if not for grace, if not for grace, where would you be? Keith's going to come. Let me pray for us. We're going to sing some songs of worship before we move into our Lord's Supper time. God, you are good. We thank you for who you are, what you're doing. pray, God, your Holy Spirit would stir hearts today. Pray, God, that we would hear your word. God, that your Holy Spirit would help us understand and that we would respond in faith. For unbelievers, Lord, they would respond in saving faith. And for believers in here, they would respond to move toward maturity in you, Lord. You've been so good to us, Lord. So good. grace, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you for interrupting my path, Lord Jesus. I pray every believer in here would have the same gratitude to be reminded of where we were going and how fast we were trying to get there. And yet, because of your love, you changed us. We thank you for that this We're going to move into a time of prayer. We practice open communion in our church, which means if you are a believer in good standing with your local church, we invite you to the table. Uh, We would ask you to help your children if they might be partaking, those who are believers, if they're young children, help them with the bread uh, and the wine. We want to remind you that we do it a little differently than you may have done it before. Uh, You take both the bread and the wine together. They'll come on the same tray. Then if you um, will ponder this for a moment, I want to read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then... And so we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. This is a holy thing that we're about to partake in. It's not to be taken lightly. Our elders and those who will be serving have been trained that if you just find yourself in the place with you and God, or you're just not on the same page. Maybe you're struggling with a sin and you're just struggling to confess it and you just, you just recognize that you need more time to examine yourself than what you have today. Um, you do not have to take. You can pass on it today. Uh, they know that. They're well aware. No one will single you out. As Keith plays and maybe sings, I uh, just want you to spend some time thinking, pondering, looking at your own heart again. Maybe you need to be reminded of where you were when Christ saved you, where you were going. Just have your heart stirred up to worship again before you come to the table. To be reminded that it is only because of his blood and his broken body that we have the ability through Christ to be made right before the Father. And What a wonderful celebration this is for us. So let's enter into a congregational time of prayer. And then after I I close this in that time, our men will come up and prepare to serve. Keith.